I thought that he was going to get trapped in there and we were going to be trapped behind his dead body. That's going through my mind. How the heck am I going to remove his corpse from this part of the cave? Andrew Manoz is a Canadian who knows exactly what it's like to be trapped in a flooded cave. I'm Nikki Reitmeyer, and this is Why. Twelve schoolboys and their coach, who went missing in a flooded cave complex in northern Thailand, have been found. Their bikes and backpacks are still waiting for them at the entrance, along with their distraught parents. Mothers beg their sons to come out, shouting, we're waiting for you. How many of you? Thirteen. Brilliant. They asked what day it was as divers surfaced into a flooded cave to find the 12 boys and their soccer coach alive. What are some of the challenges that, you know, rescuers face? It is so treacherous, even an extremely fit former Navy SEAL diver has died in the cave. The Thai government says each boy, ranging in age from 11 to 16, and their 25-year-old coach was assessed and cleared by a doctor, and that the boys were made fully aware of the rescue plan, agreeing to face whatever it took to get out of the cave. Three boys have been rescued from that flooded cave in just Four the last more people two have been rescued from the Thailand Divers caves. have pulled three more boys out of that flooded we cave. We now understand this, this entire Thai soccer team is out of that cave along with their coach. All 13 have made it out. It is a tremendous moment here in Thailand. Hard to understate. I'm sure you've heard this story. 12 boys and their soccer coach safely rescued after spending a remarkable 18 days trapped inside a flooded cave in Thailand. It was a story that captivated the world for weeks as we watched it unfold. And it's a story that caught the attention of a BC man because it sounded a little too familiar. Andrew Manoz is a first responder on Vancouver Island in BC. A couple years ago, in 2015, Andrew and five friends, including his buddy Jason, went inside what's known as Cascade Cave. I asked Andrew to tell me the story about how he almost never made it back out. December 5th, 2015, it started like any other day, really, in the Pacific Northwest. It was a little bit rainy, but not torrential. And uh, I mean, we had really high spirits. We were high-fiving and, you know, telling tall tales and did a couple-hour drive to, to get the excitement level up. And then, yeah, we were, we were really looking forward to it. You go into the cave, and the entrance doesn't look like a stereotypical cave. It's a bit odd and ominous in its appearance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Cascade is located pretty close to town and right off a really popular forest service road that uh, BMXers and four-wheel drivers are are using. So decades ago, the caving community decided we're going to lock this up because it's just kind of too dangerous. It it drops straight down 30 feet right away. And they've taken some railway irons, some wire mesh, some concrete, and, you know, kind of cobbled together this door that looks like a big rusty oven set in the ground and you reach underneath and get the key unlock it and clang it flips up and you you rappel down uh, into the dark and then you lock yourself in again so uh the key's hanging on the bottom of the rope but uh but you're locked in the whole time you're down there the group descended into the cave exploring and going deeper and deeper nearly 340 feet underground until they reached a spot called 
the bastard's crawl. You think of the top and the bottom of the cave like halves of an hourglass, the bastard's crawl is the pinch point. Only one way in, one way out, and all the water's funneling through there and then off. A four-story waterfall called Double Trouble. Initially, I knew something was wrong because we had stalled and that's not a place you would stop. And so I'm like, come on guys, we gotta go. And that's when I hear Jason yell out. Um, and it's a cry, not like, I need a hand. It's, it's guttural, primal fear. Where are your feet? Can you move your feet? What you're hearing, this is real audio from that day. Andrew just happened to be recording on his GoPro as they approached the pinch point. He had been stuck in what's called a venturi, so a, a physics phenomenon where a, a large volume funnels through a smaller constriction with pressure and it speeds up. It increases its intensity and it, it had him. It, it had sucked him in. He was going to have to work pretty hard to get himself out. Keep your head up. Yeah. And we're going to do this slowly, okay? One hand out here. Okay, one hand on that side. Yeah. You got good, you got good hands? You got good hands? Yeah. Talk to me, dude, you got good hands. Yes. Okay, foot's up. Where he's stuck is 15 feet from the edge of the four-story waterfall and the water's flowing very quickly. If he lets go to come forward, but lets go too much, he's gonna shoot off the falls and he knows it. Okay, push on me. Push on me. Okay. You're on something. I couldn't tie a rope around him. I couldn't grab him. I needed just to coach him. Keep coming. Okay. Keep your head up. You got good hands. Yeah. Okay. Slowly this way. Okay. Towards you. Towards me, dude. Keep your head up. Hands out. Good hands. Okay. Hands out. To the side. Solid hands. Keep your feet up. When you saw him there stuck in those rocks with this water gushing all around him and his head just just barely able to get air. Did you ever think, what if he doesn't make it through this? Oh, absolutely. I was I was very worried that he wasn't going to make it. I, I thought that he was going to get trapped in there and we were going to be trapped behind his dead body. That's going through my mind. How the heck am I going to remove his corpse from this part of the cave? The margin for error in the situation that we found ourselves was razor thin. You're talking an inch to the left or an inch to the right, and and it's over. Feet up on the moon. In the video, you yeah. can hear him scream out, the water's reaching my ears. Reaching my ears. Keep coming, Dad. This way, towards me. Come towards Towards you. me. Head up. Towards me. Feet up. And, and I know that he's starting to succumb to some very serious stress response. Keep coming, dude. Keep coming. You're not stuck. You're not stuck. Come on. Feet up towards me. Head up. Head up. Hands out. Make the move. Okay? Lift your ass up and float. Lift your ass out of and slow, Jace. Come on. Okay? Keep breathing. Good. Okay? Dude, you can look at me, okay? You made it, all right? Yeah. It's scary you made it, okay? <coughs> Let's chill out for a second, okay? Yeah, yeah. 
when I watched the video, my stomach was in knots because just when we think that he's made it through, you hear him say, my foot is stuck. I'm kicking myself mentally at that point. I know exactly what you're talking about. You can start moving, okay? My leg's caught. It's all right, dude. We're going to get out of here, all right? Yeah. My left leg is just... You got to remember it's December in British Columbia, so it's cold. He's been underwater up to his ears in, in freezing cold water for the better part of 20 minutes. And I've been right in there with him. We can't really feel our appendages in the same way. So when he says my foot stuck, I'm like, oh, crap, you know what? My foot stuck, too. Getting your foot stuck is a very easy way to drown. And people pass away every year from foot entrapment. And I'm going crap like how could this happen how could you be so stupid and then i think okay we're in a better situation than we were in before let's try and figure it out let's reach into the water and start to feel is that your foot is this my foot how badly stuck are we and 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 try and tell jason you know what we got time let's do this together let's not fight it we're gonna work smarter not harder that's your foot yeah that's my right foot I get some rope, I make a loop, I hook it around his toe of his boot, and then I'm able to assist him to pry one leg up, and then I can get a leg free, and then we can roll out of the flow. And that's the first time in 20, 25 minutes that we had gotten out of the water, and we were able to really try and relax. Out of the water, we're going to take a breather, we're going to chill, we're going to assess the water situation. Okay, we're not going to do that again, all right, buddy? Sure enough. I need you, man. And Jason said it many times, and I'll echo it. At that point, I thought it was over. I thought the close call was done. Holy crap, Jason almost drowned. But he's free, and we're just going to turn around and get out of here. Never did I think that we were going to be stuck from then on. Coming up after the break. Plan for at least a few people was to use the bone saw to cut up our corpses to take us out of pieces. This is why we'll be right back. I kind of just compartmentalized what had just happened to Jason. Like I had to go through the exact same spot, but I wasn't thinking that was going to happen to me. I knew I had to be pragmatic and methodical about the way that I approached getting in there because if I got stuck we were you know the chances of two people surviving were going to be really bad I knew the water was up I knew something was happening with the weather outside Matt and Arthur on the other side of Bastard's Carl they can't see any of this all they know is that something's happening but you play the hand you're dealt and so I know I got to go through and I got to tell those guys what happened and I got to get some gear to warm Jason up he wasn't shivering which is physiologically a bad sign it means that he's progressed past the first stage of hypothermia to where his muscles can't shiver to create energy to warm him so i gotta get the hypothermia kit to do that so i get through i relay a quick message to matt and arthur to say jason's had a near drowning but he's okay nobody's injured you're gonna wait 30 minutes and if you don't see anyone you have to go for help um the ironic part is and i found this out later you know debriefing with the guys as soon as I left, Arthur turned to Matt and said, hey, do you have a watch? And Matt said, no, have you got a watch? And he said, no. So I told him to wait 30 minutes, but they had no way to count it. Was it tough to tell your friends 
to go on without you, knowing that that meant that you were going to be left behind? It, it wasn't really that tough, to be honest. I, I knew Jason wasn't going to make it on his own. Um, there's really, it wasn't even a thought for me to leave him down there. It didn't even cross my mind. It was just all business. There was no no time for emotions in that kind of situation. I fired up the pocket stove, wrapped Jason in a space blanket, and started to pour cups of warm water into his caving suit and steam him like a burrito, clipped it close with carabiners, and he was feeling a lot better, and so was I. Once Jason got warm, he made a second attempt to escape, um, but the water was just too high. There was two inches of air intermittently through the froth of the white water, and both of us became completely saturated a second time. And, and I knew that once I rewarmed Jason from that, he couldn't survive a third like temperature emergency that that night. So we just went into survival mode. We took stock of our equipment and made some plans of where we were going to stay. So we made the decision, at least for the time being, to shelter on this precarious, quote unquote, ledge that we had found on the left hand wall of the cave just out of the flow, main flow of the water, but right on the edge of the four-story drop. Now, up until this point, you've been very stoic, very business-like. Yeah. But was there ever a point when other emotions started to creep up into your head? Emotions like anxiety or fear, you know, this fear that you might never see your family again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, for anybody who meditates or has engaged in sensory deprivation, they'll know what I'm talking about when I say that the emotions come as almost a stream of consciousness. You're feeling multiple emotions simultaneously. They're coming in waves with no warning. It's dark, freezing cold, and incredibly loud. Your senses are bombarded and start to fade away. You don't just feel things. You start to experience delusions you start to hear voices in the flow of the water and see faces in the rock i i was paralyzed with the thought that i would drop a piece of key equipment and when my time came i wouldn't make it out that i would i would die and my daughter would never get to know who i am she was less than a year old i was you know trying to stay as strong as i can for her and trying to be as careful as humanly possible with every micro movement so that I didn't compound the situation. I had the camera on me. The The recording of Jason's entrapment was totally serendipitous. I, I already had the camera rolling when I was climbing. So when he got stuck, it was already going. But it, I shut it off. And then turning it on again it seemed almost impossible. It seemed almost like an admission that it was over. I, I know people who have gone through survival situations who had wished that they had a way to communicate to friends and family, and I had one right there, but I just couldn't do it. I thought often about making a video message for my daughter, Juniper, to share as much of myself as I can with her. But doing that to me was giving up and I wasn't ready to go there yet. It, your hopes are dashed every time you turn the light on. We sat in the dark most of the time to conserve our batteries and you would 
flick the light on thinking something would be different and it's just the same and the same and the same and it's so demoralizing and then almost imperceptibly the attitude of the cave starts to change the cave is almost its own living being it it breathes it has moods the water is so angry all night and then all of a sudden it almost felt like a, a sigh and things just started to relax the, the water was still right up to the roof of our only way out of the cave. But there was this imperceptible sense that things were becoming less turbulent. And I would check it more regularly. And then certain rocks hanging from the ceiling started to reemerge. And the air gap became intermittent through the whitewash. And then eventually the whitewash disappeared. And it was just a steady flow, high volume. But I knew that it was dropping. And at that point... I try not to get my hopes up because it could easily rise just as fast. But I told Jason, this is it. We're going to we're gonna keep our lights on from here. And when I think I've got enough space, I'm going to go. Because we hadn't heard from anyone. And a big fear of mine through that long night was that Matt, Arthur, and Zach were dead just around the corner. That someone had fallen or gotten stuck or a rock had crushed them. Jason said, I want to try and come with you. And I remember thinking... Well, this is stupid because this is a Star Wars quote, but I remember thinking that you can't try. You're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. Because I'm going in front of you this time, and if you don't make it, all I can do is kick you back out, but you're going to be on your own, soaking wet, with no way to warm yourself. So I knew that that was it, that this was our chance, and if he was going to come, he had to, he had to make it. And he did, and it was incredible. We had maybe four inches of air, you're scraping your right ear and the right side of your helmet against the roof of the cave, and the water is up to your cheek on the left-hand side. There's one four-foot section where you take a deep breath and your head goes right underwater, you pop out the other side, and then it felt like it was over. It felt like that was the end of the ordeal. I mean, we're still up to our waist in water. We can't stand up. We're still hunkered down. But it just felt like we had done it. And then we made it all the way to the entrance, um, all the way back to the surface under our own steam. They were just about to send the next operational crew in. Hello. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Right on, Andrew. Cheers, guys. You know, everybody in the area just comes rushing towards the top of the pitch and shining their lights down, and just just to. Because you almost can't believe it, you know. I think we felt that when we saw those first videos emerge from Thailand of Ben Rivets, the UK diver, coming through and seeing the boy sitting on that sloping beach. You almost, you're in disbelief about how good they look and how calm everything is at that point. How, how many of you? 13? Brilliant. You are very strong. Very strong. I am really happy. We we are happy too. My good friend John rode up from Victoria with some people that he didn't know who had been called to help come rescue. And when they got to the scene and they were taking equipment up the hill, there was kind of a discussion about whether we had a bone saw in the first aid kit and whether we could source one quickly because kind of the running plan for at least a few people was to use the bone saw to cut up our corpses to take us out of pieces. 
it's a little hard to hear from a practical perspective. It's probably not a bad idea in a cave like that where it is that tight. You wouldn't be able to move someone in the type of stretcher basket that you see, you know, hanging from a helicopter. That's just not physically possible given the geometry. But knowing that people had written you off, that that's tough for sure. You almost don't want anybody to be there. You know, it's very embarrassing. It's very, I felt very guilty um, for a long time. I mean, I almost killed my friend. I exposed so many people to so much risk. I was the person with the most experience. I knew how to get a hold of the key. I knew where to go. And part of you just thinks, man, you should have known better, you know? I got some good moral support from people. I got some trolling online from people I never met. I got some very stern talking to from some of my senior officers in the fire service. You know, we're not sure we trust your judgment, you know? You seem a little cavalier, you seem a little reckless, and rightly so. It was really close, as close as I ever want to be. And I'm sure the coach in Thailand is thinking the same thing. I mean, somebody died trying to save him. Somebody sacrificed themselves to attempt to save him. Um, I can't imagine what he's been going through with those same feelings, right? And, uh, and the world is going to be knocking on his door. It's going to be really tough. It's really interesting to hear your story because I think... Of all the people in the world, you have this very unique perspective on the situation in Thailand because I imagine that you can relate to the feeling of sitting in the dark for what must have felt like forever, not knowing if help was ever going to come for you, not knowing if you were ever going to see daylight again without having the official statistics in front of me, I'm going to guess that there is a very small handful of people on this earth who have ever felt that way. It is so, so desperate. It is an absolutely powerless feeling. You couldn't feel more insignificant if you tried. Mother Nature is humbling and i know that these boys would have been through the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in that period of time i'm glad they had each other i'm glad they had their coach who had some buddhist training and and we're told that they meditated for long periods of time that's very important to focus on why you want to survive what it is that you plan to do when you get out and how you plan to change because there's no way that they're not almost metamorphosized when they come back out. I know that, that the Andrew that went into the cave on December 5th wasn't the same Andrew that came out on the 6th of December. Andrew said that he continues to suffer from PTSD. He's particularly triggered by the sound of rushing water. This has to mean something. This has to have happened for a reason because what happened to us doesn't really happen to people. It's the kind of thing that happens in a movie, but it doesn't happen in real life. To then catch it on video, in 1080p, face-to-face. Now he uses his experience as a teaching tool to help mentally and physically prepare other people, other first responders, just in case they ever find themselves in a do-or-die situation. And that's really helped with the post-traumatic stress because I know that when I'm feeling the stress, I can take comfort in the fact that it is being utilized to train the next generation of first responders, the next 
cadre of people who are going to find themselves in these type of situations and hopefully they can draw on some of my experience to help them survive and help to rescue others as well. This is Why is produced by John O'Dowd and me, Nikki Wright-Meyer. You can find us on Twitter at This Is Why or contact us via email, reach out, say hi, or send us a story idea. This is Why at globalnews.ca. Subscribe to the This Is Why podcast, if you haven't already, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Give us a rating and a review. We'd really appreciate that. And pass on the good word and tell your friends about us too. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next Friday.